Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Same Team. My name is Daniel Trainer. I am your host. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It means a lot. Uh, first episode, baby. Uh, you might be asking yourself, what is Same Team? What is the goal of this podcast? Well, uh, I want this podcast to be a space for LGBTQ athletes, journalists, other prominent figures to uh, tell their stories. Um, I've worked in sports. I've played sports. Uh, and maybe most importantly, I've been a sports fan my entire life. Uh, I have my own stories to tell, which I'm sure will be sprinkled out through the episodes as we go along here. Um, it's a fascinating time for LGBTQ uh, people in sports right now. Uh, the community is really having a moment. It feels like we're on the precipice of something really interesting, but there's still a long way to go and there's still quite a fight to be had. Um, but the progress being made is encouraging and, and really quite amazing. Um, it's exciting. You know, the, the basic fundamental reason I wanted to start this podcast is because, you know, I had the desire to create something that would have been important to me growing up as a gay sports fan, unclear where I fit in or if I would ever be accepted by this world that I cared about so much. Uh, and so here we are, you know, I'm really excited about it. Uh, and, and what a place to start today. Uh, our first interview uh, is with Sid Ziegler, the founder, co-founder of uh, Outsports.com. Outsports really the leading, some would argue, uh, only place for LGBTQ sports news online. Uh, Sid is an icon, really. Uh, it was an honor to speak with him. He's a trailblazer in the field. I've been following his work for so long. Been such a fan of his and, and really consider him somebody uh, that I look up to immensely. So it was an unbelievable honor to get to speak with him. He was nice enough to invite me over to his beautiful home in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was a great chat. I think it went in some really interesting directions. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's been a thrill getting to put this podcast together. I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff lined up for the future. Uh, and I'm just so thrilled that we get to start it off with Sid. Uh, so thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, and I appreciate you being here. So please listen to my interview with Sid Ziegler, co-founder of Outsports.com. Enjoy. Well, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. It's a pleasure uh, pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Um, of course. So if we could, I'd love to sort of go back to the beginning to see how all of this sort of came to be. Who who were you as a kid? Who was I? Yeah. Boy, that's a great question. You know, I was the gay kid. <laughs> right. In, in fourth grade, there was a girl that I liked, uh, and her name was Jennifer Holden. I liked Jennifer Holden. Mm-hmm. But Jennifer Holden didn't like me very much. She liked somebody else. And, but there was a girl named Danella Carter who did like me very much. Okay. And, but I didn't like Danella. I liked Jennifer. Yeah. And one day, Danella tried to kiss me. And literally standing in line going to art class in fourth grade. And I refused to kiss her. So she started saying to everybody that Sid's gay. I, I didn't even know what gay was. Uh-huh. But somehow it stuck. And when I asked my mom what it was, I said, I don't 
I don't like boys. I like Jennifer. I don't understand what's going on. And so for, for, for years, in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I was the gay kid. And it was hard to make friends. And, but I wasn't the gay kid. I didn't, I, I didn't think I was gay. I, like, I, liked, right. I liked, genuinely had crushes on girls and not boys. And I don't know at what point my interest changed, uh, but it did. And I actually became the gay kid, the closeted gay kid, because it was, you know, I'd been tormented for so many years over it was the last thing I could ever admit. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Okay. About yeah. a half hour from Provincetown. Okay. Uh, but when I got into high school, I found track and field. And... When I started winning races and I started winning MVP awards and I started w setting school records, all of a sudden the gay rumors stopped because, of course, well, maybe he's not gay because gay kids can't be fast How or, or they can't sports? right. They can't jump very far. Like, well, right. okay, maybe he's not gay. So it was interesting that once I started excelling in sports, the gay teasing stopped, and of course, <laughs> it ended up being. True, I am gay, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. So when did you come out to really yourself? I mean, when you're in high school and you're running track, yeah. you uh, were you out or no? No, no. And it was it was, very, it was very Christian. I buried it very deep inside of me. I dated girls a little bit. I had a girlfriend in college, and it wasn't till about nine months after graduating from Stanford that I was at UCLA playing ultimate frisbee. As you do. Well, I played ultimate frisbee yeah. at Stanford. Yeah, and and I saw him, PJ, <laughs> and I could not take my eyes off of PJ. I'd never seen anything like it before, and and I totally fell in love. And I mean, within within four weeks uh, of meeting him, I literally came out to myself, came out to him, started coming out to friends. I was like, this is like nothing I have ever felt before wow and he and i dated for a while but you know that didn't work out yeah but pj pj was the one to do it boy he's what if really pj had cute. never come along i don't know i or imagine another pj would have come along PJ. but man he was so cute and so fun that smile and he was good at ultimate frisbee it just it was the perfect storm so when you're growing up playing sports were you also interested in sort of the journalistic side of things when did that sort of come into play I always wanted to be a writer. My uncle was a journalist for the Stars and Stripes newspaper, and I was kind of fascinated by that. I started a, a little newspaper in my I don't know, sixth grade class, I think, and, and I was the editor of the newspaper in high school. So I always, had, I always had an interest in journalism. Sports journalism really wasn't, wasn't an interest of mine. And, and frankly, starting out sports, you know, yes, it is sports, but it's also it's, it's politics and news and lifestyle. So it's, I'm not... I call myself a sports writer because that's, I mean, everything that I write about essentially is sports. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my, my interest in it isn't just to write about sports. It's, it's the bigger picture. Yeah. When, and so OutSports started what year? 1999. 1999. So in 99, what does the landscape look like in terms of gay rights in sports? Well, the reason we started it was because no one else is talking about it. I was a development executive at Disney Channel at the time, and, and my best friend and business partner, Jim Bozinski, was, uh, well, he had been a sports editor at the Long Beach Press-Telegram, and he was a freelance editor at the LA Times. And we were just on vacation back in Provincetown talking about the burgeoning internet 
and sports and, and being gay sports fans and gay athletes and how there really wasn't anything for us. And so we just came up with this name, launched a little page through a program called Front Page on the internet. We really didn't know what we were doing. Well, this is the, I mean, you're at the forefront of everything, right? At that point, I mean, it's not just Outsports, it's the forefront of the internet and of this sort of new dawn of what it means to be sort of a writer in the digital age or a media source in the digital age. I mean, it yeah. must have been just like flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. Nobody. I mean, there really wasn't a model to follow. The the term blog did not exist. Right. So you know, we just started putting. We started writing stuff that we wanted to write about. So what was the goal? I mean, was it was it to break news or was it just to sort of be an outlet for people like you? I mean, were you like, hey, this doesn't exist. I would love if something like this did exist. Let's create it and see what happens. It really just started because Jim and I saw a void in our community and we wanted to fill it. We, we, you know, back in the late 90s, you had to come out as gay. And then once you had gay friends, you had to come out to them as a sports fan. And you were instantly labeled butch, straight acting, self-hating. I mean, immediately you were other if you were, if you were in the gay community, if you liked sports. And, and we didn't like that. And we knew that yeah. wasn't true. I didn't. My love of sports had nothing to do with a hatred for myself right. at all. I just, I just naturally really enjoyed sports. So Jim and I wanted, to, wanted a place for people like us to meet. And, and it was a couple months in having launched it. Literally a couple months later, I remember talking on the phone to Jim saying, I think we've actually started something bigger than we realize. Uh-huh. So we started... We started taking it more seriously very quickly, but it really just started because I was just tired of being called butch or straight acting or self-hating. For liking sports. Just for liking sports. Yeah. yeah. I mean, tw almost 20 years later, how do you think that's evolved? Because I still get that from people still, you know? Oh, really? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know that it's, it's not that demeaning, but I do think there is sort of still this culture attitude that can permeate a little bit from people in the gay community where it's like, oh, you like sports? You're, you're going to watch the basketball game? I, I think there is still something there. Do you not agree? I mean, I, I think it's certainly gotten better, obviously, but I still run into that sometimes, I think. I guess every once in a while, someone will say something dismissive, but they're, today, they're the ones that are completely out of touch because today... I mean, last Friday, the Dodgers had a Pride Night with 10,000 LGBT people in the stands. Yeah, it's amazing. So, and rainbow flags everywhere. So uh, so to for someone today to think that it's an act or, or that it's odd for a gay man to have an interest in sports, that's just, they're on the, the fringes, not, not us. Yeah. So how did Outsports grow? I mean, how long did it take for it to sort of turn into something where, like you said, this is bigger than I think we thought it was going to be? What did it take to sort of get to maybe a next level? Well, pretty quickly, there were a couple of stories that came along that we latched on to. One was Corey Johnson. He was a high school football captain in Massachusetts who came out to his team. Uh, and, this, and this was 2000, the very early 2000, a few months after we launched the site. Um, he, now he's today the speaker of the New York City Council. Um, so things worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. but, but that story really helped because that got a lot of national attention because it was 
oh, a high school football football captain is gay and the team right. doesn't care? What? How could that be possible? Right. And then another story was Brendan Lemon, who was the editor of Out Magazine, wrote, a, wrote an op-ed or a, wrote a column or something talking about dating a Major League Baseball. He's claimed, he claimed, was claiming to date a Major League Baseball yeah, player. Yeah, I remember that. So those couple things happened. And then John Rocker, um, baseball player, said some really incendiary things about people with HIV and, and all kinds of stuff. So those three stories at the very beginning in the first year or so of Outsports helped, I think, draw attention to the issue. And we were the only only publication really out there well, right. that were talking about it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, it. I'm sure the site became a place where you just went for that sort of stuff, right? I mean, it was still sort of in the mid-2000s, still really the only place writing sort of smartly and intensely like about these issues. Well, I'd argue we're still the only place. Well, <laughs> hey, for absolutely, I know. No, it is different today. Our competition for stories is ESPN and the New York Times. So, you know, a lot of, they have writers now in the USA Today, they have writers now who are looking for the same kinds of stories that we are. That That's just in the last few years as yeah. they've started to see there's an interest in these topics yeah can you walk me through then what happened in was it 2007 when john amici came out is that when that yeah. happened was that a huge deal for the site and for you guys well the i i call the week of john amici coming out the tipping point for our lgbt sports movement because you know john amici coming out and it was interesting the way that that story happened. I, John had reached out to me um, around Christmas time, 2006, looking for help. He had a book coming out, ESPN. It didn't look like they weren't really going to put much effort behind. Um, ESPN was publishing the book. They weren't going to put much effort behind marketing it, and he wanted some help. So I connected John with Howard Bragman, who is a very good friend of mine. He was the officiant at my wedding. Who that's he he he's the man. If you're gonna come out, he's the mm-hmm. one to go to. So I connected John with Howard, and they crafted a plan to come out. You know, after the Super Bowl, and uh, Howard had been dropping a lot of hints, and people started figuring out who was gonna be coming out. Mm-hmm. And and the Associated Press was supposed to have John's coming out story. And the day before, literally, everyone was talking about John Amici coming out. And I called Howard. I said, Howard, I can't hold my story anymore. I mean, it's out there. Right. It's out there. Yeah. So I published the story. John was furious. It was supposed to happen the next day. I think, in retrospect, John has realized that that wasn't such a bad thing. Um, but, the, but the thing that nobody could see coming, and, you know, John was a, a former NBA journeyman coming out. Yeah, it was interesting. But what sealed the deal was a week later, I think it was on Valentine's Day, when Tim Hardaway said, I hate gay people. I don't want that in my locker room. And it was a couple days before the NBA All-Star game, and he was like a part owner in a CBA team, and all hell broke loose because people saw, people heard hatred. Mm-hmm. I hate gay people. It wasn't, I don't understand it. It wasn't, I'm uncomfortable. I hate them. And that, I think, helped crystallize for people the importance of stories like John's. And mm-hmm. so it created, John's coming out got attention, but it wasn't until Tim Hardaway said, I hate gay people, that it 
became a tsunami. I remember that so well, the Tim Hardaway thing. I mean, I was, you know, I guess 19 at the time. And I remember that just being so gutting as sort of just like a young kid who, you know, likes sports and, and hearing something like that. And then I remember not being so upset that he wasn't just being, you know, exiled by everybody in the world for saying something like that. You know, like he it, was, he well, was exiled by everyone. He, the, the CBA uh, got rid of him. The NBA revoked his invitation to the All-Star game. Yeah. Uh, he was persona non grata because if you remember, he was given an opportunity to apologize and he didn't. Right. And that even made it worse. And literally everyone, he had to change the name of his the car wash that he owned in <laughs> South Florida. Yeah. It used to be Tim Hardaway Car Wash and he had to change it to some, some random name. He, he suffered bigly. <laughs> From, yes, from that. So I, I have to disagree with you. I think that, that I think he paid a price, the likes of which I don't know as we've seen. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm glad that I misremember it because I, yeah, I, for whatever reason, I, I remember him just sort of skating free. But that's... oh no, he did not skate free. He paid a very heavy financial and emotional price. That's great. So in the years since, obviously, there have been other athletes who have come out. And, you know, what is it going to take, do you think, for sort of a gay athlete to be playing in one of the fa- four major sports leagues now? Why hasn't it happened, and, and what do you think well, it What has take? happened? Jason Collins played sure. for half a season. Robbie sure. Rogers, I mean, you say the big four, but Robbie Rogers made, I mean, you had Major League Soccer, you had the most storied franchise in the league's history, the highest profile team trade. They're the league leading scorer. Yeah. Just for the right to have Robbie on their team after he came out. So people can dismiss what Major League Soccer and the Galaxy and Robbie Rogers did. And I think I even dismissed it for a while, but when you look back, that was that was pretty humongous in a sport that has a deep, deep history of homophobia. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we've seen it a couple of times. Michael Sam, I mean that that story is that story is very, very complicated with a lot of moving parts. Um, so, so that's I, I we don't have enough time on this podcast <laughs> to get into the Michael Sam story. But we, we've seen episode. it, and so what's it going to take? I mean. People want to point to some magic formula. It's going to take somebody to decide to do it. But do you think once somebody does do, do you think it's going to sort of open the floodgates for other people? It's already happened. Jason already did it. Sure. And it didn't open a floodgate. Yeah. So no. (laughs) No. Yeah. Okay. But speak while I'm thinking of this, you were speaking about uh, soccer and homophobia. What's happening in Russia right now at the World Cup? You know. Can you, I know you've written a little bit about this. Can you just talk about how terrible it is right now to be there as a gay soccer fan? I mean, obviously, it's a gay person in general. But so it's complicated. All of these things, our community has a long history, I guess every community does, of really oversimplifying issues, of painting Donald Trump as the devil incarnate, of painting Russia as, as hell on earth for LGBT people, and that's not the case. So, yes, it's terrible that um, uh, Peter Tatchell was arrested for holding a sign. Um, and it's horrible that uh, a gay couple was brutally attacked in St. Petersburg. These are terrible things. On the flip side, 
a gay fan showed up at that first match against Saudi Arabia waving a rainbow flag throughout Vladimir Putin's speech, waving a rainbow flag each time Russia scored. He wasn't escorted out. He wasn't told to stop. And he said that he actually received a lot of support. So, so to, to, you, you just can't say, I mean, yes, I'd much rather be in the United States and be openly gay than Russia. But it's, 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 Russia isn't Saudi Arabia. Right. You know, Russia is not some of the countries in Africa that literally put you to death for being gay. Sure. It's 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 more complicated than that. So I think that there are going to be some some LGBTQ fans that walk away from the World Cup saying, I had an amazing time. And sadly, there are going to be some who are harassed and beaten. And so it's I just think it's a it's it's more complicated than just it's it it's hell on earth for people. Yeah, for sure. You earlier you brought up these pride nights that all these teams are doing and all the leagues. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the I mean, what thirty major league baseball teams are doing pride nights this year? Is that something like that? I I don't know. It's, it's in the twenties anyway. I mean, there are only thirty teams, right? So or the thirty. Well, I think there's other thirty teams. Yeah, but yeah. So are, I'm trying to think. Of <laughs> I know the all... Yankees and the Angels. Uh, aren't the Yankees oh, really? never done one? The Yankees have refused to do one every Why? single season. Oh, who knows? <laughs> a combination of homophobia and well, that's not what we do, and we don't right. have nights this and that, and you know, it's they will eventually. It's right. just a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, can you talk about a little bit about what those nights mean? I mean, the you know the Red Sox did one the other night. I saw obviously there are people who are going to complain and whatever raise a stink, but I think that's such a small minority now. I mean, don't you think that you know these Pride nights and really the sports world in general are, are kind of the ones pushing the needle on a lot of this stuff in a no. little no no I, Pride nights are really nice things to have. Pride nights, um, you know, really uh, I think reflect where sports truly are today. I don't think that they're changing sports. I think they're reflecting the current culture. And today in sports, you can be out uh, in LGBTQ, whether you're an athlete or a coach or a front office executive. And, and every single time somebody comes out in pro sports, they're accepted. I mean, Eric Braverman with the LA Dodgers, he's a front office executive. Mm. I mean, he, he was promoted after he came out to, to executive vice president. He's one of the five or six most powerful people and one of the most storied franchises is Major League Baseball. So it hasn't hurt him. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that these Pride Nights are really nice reflections of where sports are. I don't think they're, they're moving the needle. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that, that you know, we don't talk about with these Pride Nights, I can't remember who I was talking to, but it was Ryan O'Callaghan, former NFL player. And I said, mm -hmm. how would you have felt as a player if the team that you were on held a pride night, and he said, it would have freaked me out. Uh -huh. He said, as a closeted gay athlete, it probably would have pushed me deeper into the closet because all of a sudden, you are worried the entire game. Do one of these gay people recognize me? Do they see me? Did I, did right. I have a grinder profile? Was I out at a bar one night? And, and he actually thought that he would probably play worse at a pride night being a closeted gay athlete. So... I am a huge fan of Pride Nights. I think absolutely we should. They're, 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 they're part of the story, but I don't think that they are an engine for change. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. If, can we talk about trans rights for a second? Sure. I know that, you know, I was going to say that's sort of the next frontier. That seems like a, a maybe shitty way to classify it. But, you know, there are people who uh, 
look at trans people in sports and have an immediate problem with it because they say that they have a disadvantage. They say that there's all this stuff, which I, you know, obviously I think is nonsense. But what do you think it's going to take for some people to overcome sort of stereotypes and strange beliefs like that? Uh, well, it's going to take time, like all things do. Trans inclusion in sports is a is a complicated patchwork of of values and medicine and all kinds of things and and even within the trans community there is a wide range of perspectives of of how particularly I mean, we're really talking about trans women and trans girls nobody's worried about uh, a trans man like chris Mosier, despite him doing unbelievably well for team usa it's really the trans women and trans girls that cause all the controversy right and i mean each each athlete is different each sport is different each level is different i, I don't think that the the policy that the connecticut that, that governs connecticut high school sports should be the same policy that governs the international olympic committee because you know testosterone, what makes a, 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 um, a cisgender man different from a cisgender woman? And I mean, it's 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 faulty to ignore facts that are in front of us. I mean, the strongest man lifts more weight than the strongest woman. The fastest man runs faster than the fastest woman. But when you're talking about twelve-year-olds or eight-year-olds or fifteen-year-olds or seventeen-year-olds, it, 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 you're talking about uh, you know. You don't want to start forcing, trying to force these kids into gender reassignment surgery or hormone therapy just to participate. Right. So it's really it's it's a complicated issue. But what I'll tell you, what the answer is not, the answer is not to say the most important thing in high school sports is winning or losing, and so we need to ban transgender girls from participating as girls. That is not the answer. Right. And and right now the the most the best answer that I've seen is the one that says if you're a trans girl you can compete as a girl. Will yeah. there be a better policy to come along? I don't know, but right now that's the best one that I see. Yeah. What what other challenges do you see moving forward in in just gay sports rights in general? I mean, I think trans is sort of right on the forefront of all of that. But what do you when you look at things? What do you think the biggest challenges moving forward for gay athletes might be? For gay athletes. I don't, I mean, the biggest challenge that every gay athlete, well, I should, not every, that 99.5% of gay male athletes face is what's going on in their own head. Mm -hmm. That they hear their teammate use the F word and they translate that into, he will hate me if I tell him I'm gay. What we have, what we've learned after so many years of stories at Outsports is that's that is almost that is almost every time not the case. That even though your teammate uses that word, he won't hate you if you're gay. And it's that's and 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 that's that's usually true in high school. That's virtually entirely true in college. And it is it is true across professional sports. I mean, even even a guy like Jonathan Vilma who said horrible things before Michael Sam came out. Even upon reflection, he was like, actually, I think I was probably wrong. Uh-huh. I think I would actually be able to accept. So, so I think that's the biggest thing is, is, trying, to, is trying for, for gay male athletes 
trying to end the use of what we call casual homophobia in the locker room and help those athletes get past mentally what is in their own heads about how they will be perceived. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's your favorite story you've ever done about sports? The one that you remember the most. Boy, that Ryan O'Callaghan story was really, was really it good. It was amazing, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a, you know, it's a combination of coming out and being closeted and, and suicide and drugs and, and, and the New England Patriots and, and undefeated season. And it's just, you know, and Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, it just has so many different how did, did he? How it. did that story come to be? Did he come to you? <laughs> Last May... I got, I think it was a friend request from a Ryan O'Callaghan, and I was I'm a Patriots fan. Yeah, I was like, that can't <laughs> be Ryan O'Callaghan. I knew who he was. Uh huh. And then I start googling. I'm like, Ryan O'Callaghan guy. I don't know. Like, why is Ryan O'Callaghan friending me? And then a few minutes later, uh, I get a message. Hey, I've been following your work for a long time. I want to talk to you. I mean, so I mean, we got on the phone. Maybe. What, what are you thinking? Are you, what are you thinking in that moment? Are you like, I'm oh. thinking he's gay and he wants some help. And, yeah, right. But I mean, that first conversation, he's like, I want to come out. Like, it wasn't even a question. He's like, I want to come out. I want you to write it. Uh, when can we do this? How can we do it? Mm-hmm. And so, so that just, you know, that started a, a month of conversation and, you know, being a part of SB Nation now, they're able to, you know, send the camera crew out and produce a really nice video. And now he and I are working on his his book, mm-hmm. so which will come out in about a year. Which, I mean, people, the, I think the article was great in revealing the book. <laughs> you haven't even. Da, da, da. It's it's there's there's, that's gonna be, if I don't screw it up, a page turner. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that'd be great. I can't wait. Uh, wrapping up. Uh, I would love to ask about the uh, exhibit at City Hall that you uh, helped curate for for Pride Month. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, sports continue to be largely ignored by the LGBT community, and when Pride comes around, it's it's just you know in over in the corner. USA Today uh, they did they did they highlighted a tran- uh, I'm sorry an LGBTQ activist in each of the 50 states, and of those 50 people that they highlighted, one was from sports, which is wow. so disappointing because of the important role in our culture that sports play. And if we win over sports, we win. It's over. It's over. So right. it was really nice to have the L.A. City Council and, and Councilman Mitchell Farrell, who himself is a former athlete, a gymnast and baseball player, um, to, to say, okay, well, for this Pride exhibit, we're going to focus on LGBTQ Olympians from the United States. And so I thought that was really neat. Um, you know, they, I, I worked with them on the list. And, and, and they worked with Getty Images to put together some really nice images. Go to L.A. City Hall. It really is a nice, a very nice uh, exhibit. That's great. Well, Sid, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, your work and uh, everything that you do. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the book. Yes, me too. Thank, thank <laughs> you for talking about this stuff. I appreciate it. Of course, it. yeah. Thank you so much. There it is. The first episode of Same Team in the Books. Thank you again to Sid Ziegler uh, for the time and the opportunity 
and for everything that he does on a daily basis. Uh, if you're in L.A., be sure to check out City Hall, the Portraits of Pride exhibit that he helped curate. It's awesome and very important. And everybody, go to Outsports.com, check out Outsports social media. They do a great job. Sid and the Outsports team killing it uh, day in, day out, doing very, very great work. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to have you here. I'll be back next week. Uh, a new episode and, and every week from then on out. Hopefully you'll stick around for the journey and, and see where this thing goes. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. Till next week, thank you so much and happy Pride everybody. <laughs>